Good morning. How are y'all doing? I did wear my winter jacket for a solid five minutes this morning, so I feel like I'm fully embraced in the, in the season. So uh, this past week, one of our daughters is looking at uh, colleges right now, and Selena took her up to look at a couple of schools, and um, it, I mean, I almost, almost tear up right now thinking about her going away to school another year plus. Uh, it had me thinking, though, in terms of where we're going today. Uh, we'll be talking about House of Shalom, Old Testament. The word is shalom. It literally means a state of being. Last week, we talked about Irene. And so yesterday, uh, Selena and Emma uh, were doing their thing, and she's so excited about what is to come, like the future, uh, anticipant. Now, here's where I want you to go with me in your mind. Do you remember being nine, 10 years old? Do you remember that mindset you had? What, what were the decisions you had to make at 10 years old? I mean, my decision at 10 was, do I want to watch Gunsmoke or not? Because there was no such thing as DVR. You either watch the show or then the next day you'd have to watch it again. Uh, my mother would make decisions for me, and this was a long gone era. She would say, after lunch, I need you to go outside and do what? Just not be here. Just go outside and I'll see you at five o'clock. Now, no parent does that today, right? Tells your 10-year-old, just go be gone in the neighborhood for four or five hours. And it was a sweet time. We would go play, we'd climb a tree, whatever the thing we would do. That was our only mindset. Now, um, my thought process at 9, 10 was very basic. And then I became a teenager. Do you remember your thought process changing when you became a teenager, Right. All of a sudden, you realize you knew everything. You were brilliant, 14, 15, 16, 18, 19. Then in your 20s, your thought process changes again. You begin to realize that your parents were a little bit smarter than you thought they were. Then you go into your 30s and 40s, and you realize they're brilliant, okay? Um, the mindset of you and what you have as a Christian has to continue to change if you and I are going to be spiritual leaders, if you just want to be a Christian, then uh, do what you do every day and become more religious. But if you want to be a Christ follower, and if you want to be a leader in this aspect, then you and I are going to have to mature in our understanding. Now, driving into work this morning, driving into the office, uh, my mom, my sweet mom, she's watching online right now, called, she, she calls me Tommy. She's like, Tommy, I've been reading this lately, and she shared this passage with me, and the statement she gave me was, son, I want you to understand that God's demands become God's promises. So the theologian in me is like, mom, can you prove that? I mean, what, what facts do you have in that regard? So she sends me this scripture, and I just added it to the sermon this morning. Um, this kind of gives us a, a platform for where we're headed into Psalm 34. Psalm 25, make your ways known to me, Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation. I wait for you all day long. That passage does back up what she said. Now, she was quoting a guy named Andrew Murray. He was a, a Christian big dog back in the day. He was so entranced with God, Andrew Murray, that when he wrote books and he would speak at some events, when people would ask him, what's your life like? What do you do? His response for years was, I don't want to talk about my life. Let's focus on Jesus. 
And when I, when I read that, I thought, man, that does, not, that does not define the church today. That the church today is all about platforming speakers and personalities uh, and, and, and we see that that has a disastrous result. Now, here's what I'm gonna let you chew on and we'll come back to it. Uh, we're gonna talk about evil today, but there's two kinds of evil, okay? There's bad evil. You can, we, we can both get out a whiteboard right now, write down all the bad things we know that we can do that you're guilty of, that I'm guilty of. And then there's good evil. And I'm not saying that evil is good. I'm saying that the good is evil. We can do really, really good things. And if they're in your name, if they're in your power, God rejects them. They're evil just as much as the bad things are. Christians must mature in their comprehension of the spiritual if they are to be spiritual leaders. Um, So here's a little bit of background. Peace is found over 400 times in the Bible. Last week we talked about Irene, multiple levels of definition, personal, financial, governmental, business, physical. This week, Old Testament shalom, more of a state of being in this psalm that we're gonna hear from David over it. Now, before we do that, I want to give you some examples of false peace, okay? Because we have to be able to identify the phonies so we can better identify uh, the valid. Ways peace can be manipulated. First one is this, what you're doing is okay. Hey, I mean, it's, you're pretty good. You're a pretty moral person. Uh, you're, you're pretty kind. You're pretty forgiving. Others need to change. There's real problems outside, but you're just fine. That is a false peace. Because what you're beginning to do is lean into what you have done And God should see what you do and receive that as holiness. Second one is this. Morality is offered as a false peace. Hey, you're a good person. You mean well. Uh, This is another way of just being good instead of being holy. And it's dangerous to be just good. Third one is this. Peace is demanded when war is called for. So what we're going to see, the psalmist David is going to call us to a status of readiness and preparation instead of kind of laissez-faire, lackadaisical, whatever. Um, Now, if you look at history, you'll see that most, the most creative times in our country's history, the, the times when business booms and families grow and the country flourishes is a lot of times right after a war. So if you go back 80 years right now, World War II, um, what happened after World War II? Um, You could pump gas at a gas station and buy a house. There was connection and family. There was a focus. There was a purpose. You go back 80 years for that. Before that, what war was it? Anybody remember? Civil War. You go 80 years beyond that, what, what, what was that war? Revolutionary War. So... War has to happen sometimes for peace to be prevalent. And and if you and I are going to see some real shalom in our lives, we're going to have to go to war a little bit and realize that we need to start getting a little bit righteously angry at what's happening in the malaise of our own heart and our own communities. Uh, So let me pray and we'll go into Psalm 34 will be 11, verse 11 through 16. And uh, may the Lord just speak today. Let's pray. 
Uh, Almighty God, thank you, thank you, thank you for your presence. Uh, we, don't, we don't need another morality lesson this morning, Lord. What we need to be is drawn to your holiness, drawn to your righteousness, and to be willing to look inwardly in our own lives and ask the question, hey, there may be some, some bad evil that we need to deal with, but there also may be some good evil that we need to deal with. Uh, we want to be under your authority, Jesus. Open our eyes that we might see. In your name we pray, amen. So this Psalm 34, uh, for some reason I said Abimelech at 830, uh, this King Achish, the Philistine king, David is um, actually acted crazy in his presence so he would not be killed. Uh, he, makes a, he, he, he makes a way with his life and then he writes this psalm. Here's what he says. Come children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Now, King David is, is one of our patriarchs. He is one of uh, uh, Israel's kings. He is somebody that we see uh, right, wrote a good amount of scripture himself, and he is incredibly flawed. He's incredibly flawed. He had all kinds of issues, and yet what we see David doing is failing all through his ministry, but in a certain direction. He's messing up. He's missing it, but he, he's, 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 he's trying to, to get to a place where he knows and sees God more. And so I would ask you this morning... If you and I are going to fail, let's fail in the right direction. The question is that are, have we insulated ourselves to a place where we're not really failing, but we're not really conquering and getting anywhere as well. So uh, all, all business people that I know that have done really, really well have failed over and over again. Most people I know that, in, that are in ministry that have really, that I look up to, as men and women that have done phenomenal things, they have failed a lot, but they're failing in a specific direction. Um, here's what I would give you first from this. Character starts in the home. And I'll speak to you men first because David was a father. He was a husband. He was a king. He was a leader. I would say that he was probably a better king than he was a father and a husband. All right? So... Um, Character starts in the home. What we see is that if you and I, men, are called to lead in our home, the temptation is to put forward this moralistic front for our children, to show them that we make all the right decisions, that we say the right things, that we go to the right places, etc. I would tell you that you're in danger of teaching your kids to be good and not Christ followers. Anybody can be good for a season. What we do, though, when we as men and women, when we choose to maybe allow failure to be seen in our own families, our kids will see us fail in the right direction. They'll hear us say we're sorry. They'll hear us make, see us make changes, and that is real character. If you're raised in a home where your parents ostensibly did everything right, then maybe you came to a place where you thought, well, I don't, I don't do everything right, so I must be the problem. Character is not only making the right decisions, but it's also making the right decisions when you do the wrong things. And these, th this is the stuff to where 
I think at the end of my life, what I want our kids to be able to say about Selena and I is not that we were perfect or we never did anything wrong, but that they saw us fail in the direction of Jesus, our leader. And they knew that they knew that they knew that we were lovers of Christ. Now, I would say that all of us have friends and family that we would wonder in the back of our minds, are these people really Christians? They say they are, and they do all the things, but you kind of wonder sometimes. And I'm not saying in a judgmental way. I, I can think of a pastor I knew in the valley where we did mission for years and years. That whenever, And he wasn't in the church I was in. He was in another church. I remember being around him, and we started planting. And every time I left a lunch with him or a dinner, I thought, I'm not even sure if this guy loves Christ. Like, I, I'm not sure. Now, he was a good, he was a good moral guy. He, he, was, he was faithful to his wife. He provided for his kids, but I, I, I wasn't sure that I saw in him somebody that yearned and desired to be that leader. So here's the deal. Good fathers provide. My dad provided. Uh, maybe your dad's provided. But great fathers provide, protect, and they pastor their homes. And if we're going to do that, we have to let our families know who we are. Um, this is all three. It provides a way to shalom. So what I need to show my kids, what we need to show our children is that we are not good where we are. We are in constant need. And so we're pointing to something that's greater than ourselves. We're not saying that we're the end point. Okay. That's what morality would say. Be like me. I'm good. I love your mom. I love you. I love other people. Be like me. No, no, no. We, we need to be saying, be like, be like Jesus. I need Jesus, children. And you need Jesus as well. It provides a way to this fear of God. It pastors or shepherds in a loving way toward the truth. Now, when I was preparing this sermon, I thought, Lord, I, I don't want mission people to hear us saying be better because being better doesn't work. I want you to hear the scripture saying, there's a, there's a place for you where you can come be closer to Christ and your fears can go down and your comprehension can go up and real change can be affected, which is not morality centered. Morality comes after it. It is, is Christ centered. It's by Christ alone. It protects by default against the opposite choice of not fearing the Lord. I, I, uh, I want my children to fear God. I want my children to know who he is. The only way they're going to know who he is, if I am leading to that house of Shalom myself. Verse 12, who is someone who desires life, loving a long life to enjoy what is good? Now, I, I, I want a long life. I, I think most of you do too. I, I think about Emma getting ready to go to college in a year and a half. I remember when she was this big. That's where some of y'all's kids are right now. They're little guys. Well, they become bigger guys. And then they, they have their own opinions and thoughts and processes. And, and I want a long life with my children and Lord willing, my grandchildren one day. But that life can be a waste if it's not under Christ and for Christ alone. Verse 13, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceitful speech. 
Now, it, that is clear that we're to stop talking about evil things. And, and, and maybe we need to check what we're saying, how we're joking, uh, things that we find humorous. Definitely so. But I would also say to you this, this is also talking about maybe ostensibly good things that you're sharing or people you're talking about. If you are even talking about the so-called good things that people do to build yourself up a little bit, that's good evil right there. That is good evil. And God doesn't like it. He doesn't receive it as worship. Turn away from evil. Do what is good. Seek peace and pursue it. So, so we, all, we all pursue what we want to pursue. Amen? If you want to go to the gym, you're going to go to the gym this week. If you want to eat healthy, you're going to eat healthy. If you want to know Jesus more, and to really grow in your holy fear of him and be under his authority, you're going to pursue him this week. Um, we're definitely stop talking about evil things. Stop lying. Predominantly, we lie to ourselves. And you may have a problem lying with others. I know we all do, but the, mainly the lies are internal. Uh, but turn away from evil and do what is good. Seek peace and pursue it. So how do we, how do we qualify evil? Um, J.P. Moreland, Christian philosopher, here's what he says. I want you to think about this. Evil is a lack of goodness. It is goodness spoiled. You can have good without evil, but you cannot have evil without good. Um, evil is taking good things and twisting them into something horrible. Now, how did Jesus qualify evil? What, what, what did he say? We've gone over some of these verses I wanted to reiterate. On Matthew 12, 30, anyone who is not with me is against me, and anyone who does not gather with me scatters. Jesus clearly says, if you're with me, that's good. Apart from me, it's all evil. The best you have to offer is evil. The best things you have to say are evil. The best morality you have apart from Christ is that Good, worldly, evil in God's eyes. First John 4, 8. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. So if we're not loving, first and foremost, God as he loves us, then you can't love others, which means that all other kinds of love are what? They're evil. They're contradictory of agape love. So stop doing evil, all the varsity sins you list that others do. Stop doing those things. I mean, this is what the community of Christ is for when we're struggling with sexual uh, sins, emotional sins, forgiveness, bitterness, whatever. That's what the church is for. But the church is also for fighting this positive morality that you have that saves. It doesn't save. It's evil. And it can take us to a place where we see ourselves as good. And that is the, I see it as like one degree. Like here we are walking with Christ in his righteousness. And we're one degree away from saying, I'm doing a pretty good job right now. I'm doing, look, look what I'm doing instead of look what Christ is doing. Stop doing evil. All the actions you do in your own name for your own glory, for your own agenda. They are evil regardless of how moral they are perceived to be. So you may be doing good things right now, and if I were around you, I would say, that guy, that gal is really doing some awesome things. But if they're in your name, they're evil. 
And that's how God sees them. So what should we do instead? Three words must be in front of every action, reaction, and mindset we have. What are those three words? In Jesus' name. So I'm gonna go into this meeting right now in Jesus' name. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have lunch right now in Jesus' name. I'm gonna have this conversation with my spouse in Jesus' name. I'm gonna spend time with my kids right now in Jesus' name. I'm gonna go to H-E-B, Giant House of Food, in Jesus' name. Some of y'all like to do the pickup thing where you order online and they put all your groceries in the trunk. I, I, I wonder about that. I love to go to H-E-B. I love to walk in and go, wow, look at all the stuff we can buy. Okay, um, whatever we're doing, I'm gonna go to the gym and swim this afternoon in Jesus' name. We're gonna have family time tonight in Jesus' name. None of those are bad things. But if they're in your name, they are. If, you're in, if they're in your name, they're unholy, they're evil. Do good things in Jesus' name, not your name. Look for peace, the house of Shalom, and go after it. Verse 15 the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry for help. So who are righteous? Those who do God's will. Those who do God's will. And again, I just hear me. I'm not trying to say be better. I'm trying to say recognize who your goodness comes from. That it's just, it's a reset. It's a comprehension of knowing that Jesus is the answer and that we don't meet him and then do what we want. We meet him and stay with him. We meet him and we talk with him. We meet him and connect. Selena and I do something called Marriage Meetup every week. I've talked about this before. We reconnect every Thursday at 5 p.m. We talk about any issues we have, any logistics we have. Kids needs all these things. We have to communicate. She is my only spouse in the world. And I'm, I'm her only one. So when we connect, we talk and, and, we, and we, we make plans for the glory of God for our family. We both come from hard backgrounds. So when we look at what we're called to do, we don't just want to be good people because that tends to break. We're trying to be godly people. And we want our kids to see character in our lives. And character will always involve some failure, not just some success. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His eyes are on you and me. I was raised in a pretty legalistic home. I thought that meant back in the day, he's looking to put a lightning bolt through my head. If I do something bad, and I'm, I'm a French fry, and that's probably what I deserved anyway. Right here, what it says is the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, which are people under the authority of Christ, and his ears are open to their cry for help. The Lord is listening for your cry. The question is, are you crying out? Because if you're, if you're self-sustained, you're not. If you're, if you're very moral, you're probably not. If that's where you, you hold your, your credibility to be found, and if that's what, if that's what you're going to lift up to God one day and say, look, I was, a, I was a very good person. If you're... If you're financially secure, you're probably, there's a lot of things that we can be that will take us away from crying out to Almighty God. So uh, yesterday, 
Emma and Selena were driving back from the colleges and got on speaker. Well, how was it, honey? What did you see? What did you experience? And Emma, through her 16-year-old eyes, was explaining to me all these cool things she saw and were excited about. And it just, it warmed my heart. But she was in a car, not home yet. But two years later, she walked through the door and I was able to see her and hug Selena and her, and we were close, and we continued to talk about the thing. Why? Because this communication piece is what makes us a family. And so I was able to enjoy through Emma's eyes what she experienced. I want you and myself, my family, to enjoy what God sees, to see things through his eyes. And the only way we're gonna do that is by coming into the house of Shalom. He's listening for your cry. He desires to help you and take you there. All right? Uh, that, that gets me excited right there. Now I'm gonna go over a few things, seven things house of Shalom gives, and you can, the Holy Spirit will use them to connecting you right now, uh, wherever you may be. The first thing the house of Shalom does is it clarifies who Christ is. He is the Savior, and you are not. He is the one that gives life, you are not. He is the one that is peace, you are not. Your finances are not peace, okay? They're a means to an end. They should be a tool and not something you use to separate yourself from people. Clarifies who Christ is. Number two, clarifies your need for him alone. When you spend time in Bible study with other real believers, you should walk away from those experiences and go, man, I'm such need right now. Man, I need what I see in Jesus. As I'm reading this story in the Bible, I need that more. As I'm around people like and Andrew Murray in your life, it's just like, I don't want to talk about what I'm doing. Let's talk about Jesus more. You should walk away and go, I want Jesus more right now. I need his presence more. I, because when we come into his presence, all your flaws are so available. You should see yourself more clearly when you're in the presence of Christ. If you're not in the presence of Christ, you don't see yourself for who you are. You see yourself for how the world judges you. That's the third one. It magnifies his presence. Okay. Again, Emma yesterday on the phone distant. I was still communicating, but when she walked in the door, she was present. And then we were close. I, I want Christ to be magnified in your life as well as mine and my family's. Number four, minimizes fear and anxiety. Um, man, this is such a big one. As we go into the house of Shalom, the presence of God, there's no room for all the what ifs in our life. There's only room for the who is, the I am. And that's where so much I don't know, saturation of our soul happens where the Lord is present. It's like turning the volume up and he is so evident. Number five, clearly identifies your history for what it is. Number six, allows you to see your present status or status, whichever one you say. I say potato, you say potato. I'm not quite sure which one is right, but it allows you to see exactly where you are and that's a, tr that's a truthful moment, right? Like, okay, this is what I'm struggling with. 
This is where I'm self-righteous. This is where I have some issues. This is where my spouse and I need to work on things. This is where I'm negligent in my parenting. This is where I need to work harder in my job, whatever that may be. And the last one, it calls you to a future in Jesus' name. Not in your name. Not in the power you have, but in the power Christ has. Um, I'm going to stop right there, but I want to reiterate something. I, I, uh, if, the jur- if the church is just a place where you're told to be better, don't come back. Don't, don't come back. But if it's, if it's a place where we learn that our creator has a better way for you and I to live than this moralistic lie we're telling ourselves, then investigate that. And look at what peace could offer you. Most of us make choices because of anxiety and fear. Most of us make choices because we're afraid. Negatively, we make these choices so we can supersede maybe the right choice and we can do something else that will keep us from experiencing that pain. Honestly, it just puts us further and further in the hole. So what the king of peace is saying to you and I is that, listen, I, yeah, there's some things that you need to change in your life. There's some lifestyle choices you're making that may not be the best, but, f- but first, just come experience me. Come, just be in my presence. Allow me to be close to you. Allow me to love you and show you mercy and grace. And last week, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and guard your mind in Christ Jesus. That's where the best decisions come from. So, um, Shalom, I see it on the door. It's a state of being, so we have to, we have to go through that door. Arene, New Testament, just all these different ways that God has gifts for you and for me in community, in discipleship groups, in community groups, in reading scripture, in praying. Your morality is not cutting it. Your morality, church, is a byproduct of that which really saves your presence and your connection with Almighty God. That's what's going to change your attitude. That's what's going to change your your choices. You're not going to change anything and neither am I, but the King of Kings is. Jesus is the peace. He is the one we look to for change. May God bless the reading of his word today. Let's pray. Um, Communion.